you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. It's a blessing to be back here, church, to share the word with you, and um, I hope you're having a beautiful morning so far, worshiping the Lord, and um, isn't it great that we can gather? It was a wonderful night last night, and you really helped us to uh, worship the Lord throughout this weekend, and so what a beautiful privilege it is that we have. Um, As we dive back into the text of Scripture, I'll ask you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 20. Please turn there, John 20. If you don't have a Bible, don't look at me. There's one in the seat in front of you, and uh, pull it out, and uh, let's uh, take a look together. Um, I want to remind you where we've been so that we're able to to follow along together. Um, It was the Sunday after Passover, after the Passover Sabbath. And we're early in the morning on that Sunday morning, right? The Easter Sunday morning when Mary Magdalene found the tomb of Jesus empty. Are you with me? The tomb of Jesus was found empty. And then what does she do? She runs back and finds Peter and John. That was verse 2 of chapter 20. And then the two of them run back with her to the tomb. There's a lot of running going on on that Saturday morning. I don't know if you guys go for runs on Saturdays. Oh, Sunday, sorry. But that's what's happening. There's lots of running going on. Peter and John come back with her to the tomb, and they see for themselves the face cloth. Do you remember this? The face cloth neatly folded and lying there on the side. That was verse 7 of chapter 20. And John tells us something very important. He says, yet... They did not understand. Verse 9. They did not understand that Jesus had risen. So after this, the two men went back to their homes. That was verse 10, right? John and Peter go back to their homes. And then John tells us, the apostle tells us, that Mary remained outside the tomb. And what was she doing? Weeping. She's weeping for her Lord. And it was then, as we saw last Sunday, Pastor preached from verses 11 to 18, it was then that she would have the single greatest encounter of her life, of her life, becoming the very first person to see the so-called gardener, right, who turned out to be none other than her risen Lord Jesus. This is where we left things off last Sunday, the story Uh, In verse 18, she returns back to the disciples. So Mary comes back to the disciples, and she announces to them what she has seen. She says, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. That was verse 18, okay? So now we pick things up in verse 19. If you can turn there, verse 19 in your Bible. Here we go. On the evening of that day. So what day is it? It's still Sunday. It's the first day of the week. It's Sunday. It's Sunday evening. Jesus rose from the dead in the morning. And here we are Sunday night. The doors being locked where, they, where the disciples were. That's an important detail. Uh, for fear of the Jews. And then John tells us Jesus came and stood among them. 
And he says to them, peace be with you. Okay? Peace be with you. The first thing that I want you to observe this morning, okay, what the resurrected Jesus Christ does for his disciples, here's the first thing. He turns their fear into peace. Okay? He turns our fears into peace. You know, when we, um, when we first moved into our home uh, many years ago, I don't know if I was naive or what it was, but um, whenever I would go out on a short errand, you know, you go to the mailbox, check the mail, or you go to the store, you pick up some milk or some toothpaste, whatever, right? You, I don't know if I was naive, but this is what I did. I used to leave the front door unlocked. Okay? Now, looking at my wife, I, I, she's, this may be the first time she's learning about this, but it's good to talk about it, right? It's important to talk about this, and I'm glad we're having a moment of talking about this now. Um, but I did that. I wanted to trust that my neighbor, I could trust my neighbors. I could trust my neighborhood. I wanted to, to believe that I was safe. Well, well, one morning, one snowy morning, I got up to go, go to my driveway to get the car and, and go to work, and I saw that I had left my car door unlocked. Maybe I was too trusting. I left my car door unlocked, and someone had actually gotten into my car. And I knew that because there was snow inside the vehicle. And the glove compartment was open, and there was a shuffling of papers. Thankfully, all they found was um, gospel tracts and a tied-to-go pen, which is still missing, by the way. But, but the point is, um, that experience put a kind of fear into me. I had to be honest. It put a kind of fear into me. I'm not saying I don't trust people, okay? I trust you guys. But... But I'm more likely to lock my doors. I'm more likely to lock doors. What am I trying to say? You see, fear can do that to you. Fear causes you to feel unsettled. It causes you to feel unsafe, insecure. It causes you to, it disturbs your sense of peace. That's what fear does. And so the disciples locked the doors. You understand what's happening, right? That they're living in fear. Just two days ago, three days ago, they saw Jesus being murdered. They saw how the Jews had Jesus murdered on a Roman cross. You can imagine what they're thinking. Like, what is going to happen if they find us? If the Jews found us. And so they locked those doors. I mean, I can imagine those disciples, as secure as they could have made those doors, they would have secured those doors. But church, aren't you grateful that there is one who is stronger than every door that you and I can lock? He's stronger. He's stronger. The one for whom locked doors open on their own accord. They opened. Do you remember what happened in Acts? Those of you who follow in the Acts Bible study to Peter, do you remember what happened? Acts chapter 12, verse 10, how the iron gates opened for them on their own accord. And just like that, the one and only risen Son of God, there he was standing in the room. It didn't matter how much they secured that door. He was standing in the room. And I want you to realize that detail is important, that, that, that John tells us he was standing. Why? He wasn't limping, church, right? 
You know what he went through on Friday. He wasn't limping as though he had just survived a crucifixion. He wasn't crawling into the room half dead, clinging on to his life. No, no, no. He was truly dead on Friday, and now he was standing alive. He was standing alive. Just picture that scene. Imagine you were there. All of a sudden, the fear of the Jews, that just pales into insignificance, right? As the disciples see the risen Savior, and what does he say to them? What does he say? Look at verse 19. He says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. That was a customary greeting. You know how we say, like, how are you, right? We don't usually want to know, right? We just say it, right? It's just, a, it's just a greeting, right? It's like, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? It's just a thing we say. That's what it was for them. Shalom. Shalom, right? I mean, peace be with you. But I want you to, to remember the context. Can you imagine how those words would have felt to the disciples? Those precious words? I, I, lest I remind you what these disciples had done to Jesus just a few days ago. It's Sunday night. What happened on Friday? They failed him. They failed him, church. They, 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 they completely abandoned him in his darkest hour. They betrayed him and even denied him again and again and again. That, that, was, that, that was these guys. These, that, these are the same guys. If, if you look at Luke 24, verse 11, uh, did you know that even after they were told that the, the tomb is empty. Do you know what they thought? Look at this. These words, after they heard from Mary, these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. The disciples have failed Jesus in a colossal way. In a colossal, I mean, they must, can you imagine the shame to see Jesus now? of how they doubted, how they disbelieved, how they let him down. And i got to be honest with you, as I was studying this text, I was so convicted about the many times that I am just like those disciples. And maybe you can feel the same way too this morning. The many times that I have failed Christ, it's true. The many times that I have let the fear of, of people keep me from being faithful to God. Have you been there? Of course we have. The many times that we have sinned knowing that Jesus had to die for our sins. Think about that. Have you ever committed a sin and in the moment you know that Jesus died for this sin? That's a high-handed sin. We've done that. The many times that we've betrayed his love and taken advantage of his grace and mercy and lived as though he meant nothing to you, nothing to me. We've done that, church, each one of us. And if, like me, today you feel ashamed, ashamed of all the ways that you have let Jesus down, I want you to remember the very first word that he speaks to them. I mean, he could have said anything. He could have said anything to them. Why did you do that? Right? Rebuke them for their unbelief. What is, he, what is, he, what is the first word he says? Peace. Peace be with you. 
This is what the resurrection of Jesus means, church, to you and I. It means peace. It means that your sins, your moral failures, those are not the end of the story. That's not the end of your story. Because you understand, if Jesus has really risen from the dead, then all of this is true. All of this is true. It means that your sins and your failures, the, the things that separated you from a holy God, have been taken away. Praise God. They've been removed. And now you really have a way to have peace with God. You're at peace with Him. He's not coming as your enemy anymore, despite everything you have done. Isn't that amazing? Aren't you grateful, church? Aren't you grateful? As we sang last Sunday, that beautiful hymn, because he lives, now we can face tomorrow. And because he lives, what does it say? All fear is gone. It's gone. All because he lives. Praise God. That brings us to, this, to the second point. Look at verse 20. Verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The second thing I want to observe this morning from this text is this. What does the resurrected Christ do to us, do to his believers, um, his disciples? He turns their doubts into joy. He turns your doubt into joy. Okay, I want to show you this. Um, you know, I think as Christians, I'm not condemning you or... I'm saying as a group, as Christians, I think we can be very hard on people who have doubts. I'm just going to be honest for myself. I can be very hard on people who have doubts, who, 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 who have trouble believing. Maybe some of you are here today, you doubt God. Maybe you have doubts, right? You don't know if this is really true. You don't know if a man really rose from the dead. I mean, every person in your life who has died has not come back to life, right? And so you have doubts. And I think as Christians, we can be hard. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm a good Reformed Baptist, okay? I believe that we are saved through faith alone. I believe that. Faith is so important. You can't see God without faith. You can't have life without faith. But here's what I want to tell you. Let us not forget what the very first Christians felt before they believed. What do they feel? Doubt. They felt doubts. I want to show you this. Luke chapter 24 in Luke's account. <clears throat> you know when they first saw Jesus? Do you know what they thought? They thought they were seeing a ghost. Do you know that? Look at this. They were startled and frightened, and they thought they were seeing a spirit, like a disembodied spirit. Like they thought it was a visual hallucination. That's what they thought. Next verse. And look what Jesus says. This is so important. He says to them, why are you troubled, and why do what? Doubts arise in your hearts. Why do doubts? That's what, they, that's what they were experiencing, doubt. And then what does he say? Verse, 30, verse 39, what's Jesus' solution to their doubts? Look at this, verse 39. He says, see my hands, see my feet, that it is I myself. It's me, Jesus says. It's me, it's really me. Touch me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Verse 40, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Dear friends, here's what I'm trying to say. 
Doubt is a real part of every Christian's journey. Okay? It's a real part. Now, don't get me wrong. Everything that does not proceed from faith is sin, right? Doubt is sin. Doubting God is sin. But what I'm trying to say is every one of us, no matter how mature you are in the faith today, you have experienced this doubt. But in God's grace, in his grace, Jesus comes to these doubting disciples and he comes to you and I today through their testimony. And what does he do? He gives them proof. He gives them proof. Why? To quell their doubts, right? He gives them evidence. He gives them the marks. He shows them the scars. And I don't want you to misunderstand. This is a very important point. Do you realize that Jesus has a glorified body? You know, Jesus is the first of the resurrection, right? So when we die, we're going to die. And then one day in the resurrection, we are going to have glorified bodies, restored health, renewed health. We're not going to have the same infirmities and diseases of this age. But Jesus will have these scars. Think about that. Why? Why in a glorified body does God keep those scars on Jesus' hands and feet and his side. Do you know why, church? Because they will forever remain as remnants of the crucifixion. They will forever remain as an eternal reminder of what Jesus has done for us. So that in 1,000 years, in 3,000 years, in 10,000, 100,000, a million years from now, we will never be able to forget what Jesus has done for us. Amen? Never will we forget because we'll look and see the scars that remind us of what Jesus has done, of his triumph over death and our sin. Praise God. Praise God. And church, I want, to, I want you to see what this proof did to the disciples, what, their, what happened to their doubt. Look at verse 20 again. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and side. And can you read the next word with me? Then. Then, do you see the then? Then the disciples were glad. What am I saying? There's a connection between what they saw with their eyes and what they felt in their hearts. Do you see the connection? There's a direct link that seeing the resurrected Christ turned their doubts into gladness. Turned it into joy. Into what? Into faith. They had a joyous faith, church. Because of the scars. Because of what they saw. They saw the proof. They saw the evidence. And they believed. And do you know how strong their belief was? Their belief was so strong that it would lead this ragtag group of men. Right? Unimpressive men. It would lead them to stand before emperors and kings. It would lead them to be willing to face death. To face death rather than deny what they saw. Think about that. That is a compelling proof for the risen Christ. Okay, I I want you to realize, history tells us that most of these disciples died for their faith. They died for this. They died for what they were claiming by stoning, by, by beheading, By crucifixion, 
You can read about it, church history. Burning alive? I, I want you to take a moment and just think about what that means. Can you imagine holding so firmly to something that you thought was true that the pain of a stone cracking your skull or the pain of a knife beginning to slit your throat or, or, or the pain of, of, of being crucified as, as nails are being dug into your hands or the, the smell of burning as your flesh is falling off of your bones. Can you imagine holding so firmly to something that even any, none of those things could have caused you to recant? Can you imagine that? None of those things could cause them to take back what they knew was true. What was it? That Jesus was alive. That Jesus is alive. It's a remarkable church. This is what the resurrected Christ does. He turns our fears into peace. He turns our doubts into joy. That brings us to verse 21. Look at verse 21 with me. Jesus says to them now, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, Jesus is saying, now he says, even so I am sending you. Okay? Here's the third thing. The third thing we observe is this. The sent one became the sender. Okay, can I say that again? The sent one became the sender. So he's proven to them, right? He's like, it's really me, guys. It's really me. It's me, I'm the one who died, and now I'm living, and now he gives them their marching orders, right? This is what in the church we call, what do we call this? The Great Commission. The Great Commission. This is it, to go into all the world with the good news of the risen Christ. So, so if you've been in church for any length of time, you know this, right? You've heard us talk about the Great Commission. So, so what is it really? It's us as a church, as disciples, we have been sent by Jesus. Do you know, we're not just here to have a kumbaya group, right? Sit here and sing songs and tap each other on the back and say, well done. That's not what we're here to do. Jesus has sent us. This is a real calling, a real mission that we have to fulfill. It's serious. And, and, and what is it? Matthew 18, 18 to 20, to 20 says this. We are to do what? To make disciples of our nation, of all nations, baptizing them, to, the, those who believe in the, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then doing what? Teaching them to obey all that God has commanded us. So that's the Great Commission. So I want, I want you to do something now, okay? I want you to turn to the person beside you. If you're a disciple this morning, I want you to tap them on the shoulder. Not too hard. It's church, right? This is be, be gentle. Tap them on the shoulder, and I want you to tell them, we have a mission. Go ahead. No one's tapping Keith on the shoulder. Go ahead. Tap. Okay? Okay? Okay, did you get it? We, we have, they're doing it for each other. Amen. But, right. So we have a, you guys at the back, do it. Yeah, go ahead. You can do it. Yeah, there you go. Stefan and, and uh, Chukul. Good. So we, this is, this is serious. We have a mission. We need to remember this. We're not just here as a kumbaya social group. We really do have a mission. And, and, and it's a serious mission. And I want you to, to think about this for a second. Those of you who have come to know the Lord, I want you to think about this. Think back to the person who, or the persons who first shared the gospel with you. 
Okay, I don't want you to say their name. Don't say their name. I just want you to think back to the person or persons who first led you to Christ. And I want you to, to, I want to ask you something. Are you not grateful? Aren't you grateful that someone was willing to get through the awkwardness and get through the fear of rejection and and the discomfort and tell you about Jesus? Aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful that people have stuck to the mission in your life? Church, do you realize that none of us would even be here? This church would not even exist if not for 2,000 years of men and women who took seriously this commission to go and tell others about Jesus. That's how we're here. That's the mission that's been entrusted to us. There's a qualification, though. Look at verse 21 again, 21. There's a qualification he gives us, and I hope you caught it. He says, as the Father sent the Son, right? That's how we have been sent. So what am I trying to say? Um, This is an important point that Jesus stresses again and again. Look at his prayer, John 17. You know when he's praying the high priestly prayer? He prays to God. He says, Father, as you have sent me into the world, I am sending them, the disciples, into the world. So what does this mean? It means that the way in which we are to fulfill the Great Commission is just as or just like the way God sent Jesus. Are you following me? Okay. Now what does that mean? How did God send Jesus? That's the question you have to ask, right? Look at this, John 3, 17. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. He sent Jesus in order that the world might be saved. Saved. We are not called to go to condemn the world. In fact, if you, if, you, if, you, if you look at verse 16, you can see the motive. What's the motive behind us going? It's the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved. Church, this is a labor of love. The Great Commission is not a calling out on their sin. That's not the main point. The point is to show love and to give them the hope of the gospel so that they would be saved. That we would be saved. Isn't it sad when Christians are, are seen by the world as lacking in love? That's how, how did God send, in love he sent Jesus. In love Jesus sends us. I'm, don't get me wrong. The world is condemned already. I want you to see this, John 3, 18. I don't know if, yeah, there it is. People often forget this verse, right? Because we stop at John three sixteen. If you keep reading, whoever believes is not condemned. That's great, but look at this. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. They're already condemned. That's not our job to go and condemn them. It is truly we have been sent to save sinners. To save sinners with the life eternal message of the gospel. So the sent Christ becomes the sender. And then the question you, you might be wondering is, in what, how are these disciples, these bumbling, ragtag group of guys, how are they supposed to do this, right? By what power are these disciples supposed to accomplish this mission, okay? And here, and Jesus gives the answer in verse 22. Here it is. And when he had said this, he breathed on them 
And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you're wondering how in the world is the gospel supposed to accomplish its work in this world, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I need to address something that's a bit of a, bit of a it's off of this, but I need to address it. Because today, there are many, I want to say, false teachers who take this verse and they take it to mean something very different, okay? You may have seen this on YouTube, pastors going around, <laughs> blowing on people, right? What do they think? They think that they, can, they have the ability to give someone the Holy Spirit. And they use this verse to justify that action. And I say that with sadness. I'm not saying it to mock, but it is a mockery. Um, because if you look at your Bible, look closely at verse 22. If you have a study Bible... Look at your Bible and look at the cross-reference. Verse 22, look at the cross-references. Okay, if you don't have a study Bible, go to our library. There are some nice study Bibles they can check out. Right, Michelle? So they can check out and get one, maybe an ESV study Bible I'd recommend. But in the cross-references for verse 22, that's where you find where this word is used elsewhere in the Bible. Okay? Where is this word or, or derivative of this word used elsewhere? And you'll see that cross-reference goes all the way back to where? Anyone? Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, okay? And what's happening in Genesis chapter 2? God forms Adam out of the dust of the ground, and what does he do? He breathes life into his nostrils, right? That's Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. So if you understand that, now when I ask you, what is Jesus doing here in verse 22? Now you might see the deeper meaning here. That in the creation of mankind, God breathed life into the old creation. And now Jesus is breathing life into the new creation. Into the new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 if anyone is in Christ, what are you? You're a new creation. That's an important word. You're, a new, you're not the same as the old man or old woman. You are new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so Jesus was not blowing and giving them the Holy Spirit. Remember, in the book of Acts, when did the Holy Spirit come upon the disciples? Was it on Sunday night? Right after Jesus rose from the dead, when did it happen? I hope you guys can come to, the, come to the Acts Bible study. Don't look at me that way. Just come. You can come, right? When did it happen? Forty days later at Pentecost. And so you have to understand what, what Christ is doing here. He's, when he's breathing on them and telling them to receive the Holy Spirit, it's a pledge. He's making a promise to them of what they're going to receive, what's going to come, a promise of what's going to empower them to do all of this, to go into the world and share the good news, a promise of who was going to mark the beginning of the New Testament church age, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to the last point, the fourth and final point, and here it is, the resurrected Jesus Christ gives authority to the church. Okay, now this is a, a difficult verse, but I want you to stick with me, okay? Verse 23, last verse. Here it is. Jesus says, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, if you 
forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And then he says, if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Okay? Are you with me? Okay. So, this might be easier for someone who's a non-Christian to understand, but those of you who are Christians, I want you to just stop for a moment and just ponder this with me. Have you ever wondered how a pastor or priest or anyone could get up on this pulpit and have the audacity to tell you that your sins are forgiven? Have you ever wondered that? Like, if you really think about that, to tell you you're forgiven or not, like, that's crazy, right? Like, like non-Christians look at us and they're like, who are you to say that? It's true. If, if I, if I don't know you. I don't know what you've done. I don't know your thought life, how messed up it is. I don't know the things you've said or done in secret. I don't know the evil that you've committed. I don't know knowingly or unknowingly. I don't have your police check. I don't have your vulnerable sector screening. I don't know what laws you've broken in this country or in another country that I don't know about. I don't know. I don't know what charges are still outstanding for you in court. So for someone to get up here and actually have the audacity to tell you your sins are forgiven, that's, that's, that, that's audacious. That's bold. It seems almost ludicrous. And yet, as we come to this final verse, the resurrected Son of God Son of God, the, the supreme judge of all the earth, right? Who presides over the highest supreme court there is, the supreme court of the universe. He gives his disciples the authority to forgive, to pardon sins. And this is a tough verse to understand. I want to show you this. Mark chapter 2, verse 7. Let's take a look at this. When Jesus was forgiving sins, do you know what they said to him? The, his opponents, do you know what they said? They said this. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can, read it with me, forgive sins but God alone? It's a good question. It's an important question. And if we believe the Bible is true and God does not contradict himself, then that means Mark chapter 2 verse 7 is true. It's true. No one has authority on earth to forgive sins except God alone. Except God alone. So how do, we, how do we make sense of this? Well, the first thing I can tell you is the Pope doesn't have the power to do this. I don't care who you are. You could be the Pope. You could be a priest. You could be a, me. Anyone who stands up here, none of us in and of ourselves has the authority to forgive sins. Because we're sinners. Imagine sinners trying to forgive each other of sins. What is that? We're all sinners. So what is Jesus saying? Look at verse 23 again. He says, the tense here is very important. Okay, read this. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So, so the tense in the Greek, if you look at those two words, it is forgiven them, it is withheld. It's, it's, a, it's a Greek tense, it's a past tense that continues to the present. What do I mean? It's something that has been completed in the past, but has continuing effects 
into the present. So what am I saying? I'm saying that no individual Christian has authority to do this. No church, SCF or otherwise, has the authority to, do, to forgive sins on our own. No. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that as the disciples, as the church proclaims the gospel... Please follow me, okay? This is so important. As we tell you, as I stand up here in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I tell you, if you believe in Jesus, you can be forgiven. When I say that to you, if you believe, I have been given the authority by Jesus Christ, the risen Son of God, to tell you your sins are forgiven. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that precious, church? That if you are willing today, any one of you, if you are willing to believe in Jesus, Jesus gave authority to the church to tell you based on your faith, your faith has saved you. You are forgiven. Not by me, not because of me. I've done nothing. I am nothing. But because of what Jesus has done. He has paid the price. He has paid the price. And yet, as verse 23 ends, Jesus says a very odd statement. Because I've been telling you this is a great commission. I've been telling you this is all about love. I've been telling you this is about forgiveness. And then yet, as you read the end of verse 23, you think, why in the world will we do this? The second part. Look at the second part. He says, if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Why would we do that? Right? We want the world to be saved, don't we? We want people to repent and believe and have forgiveness and experience eternal life. So why would Jesus say this? Well, because, beloved, Jesus was giving authority to the church not only to forgive, but also to draw a line in the sand. Okay? To draw a line in the sand. To distinguish those who truly believe and are forgiven from those who do not believe and therefore are not forgiven. Are not forgiven. This is a responsibility that extends even to this day. Do you know that? As elders, we have a responsibility to shepherd the flock, to protect the flock, but also to exercise discipline, to draw a line in the sand. We have that responsibility. We have to give an account. Because you know this, church. You know that everyone who walks through those front doors is not forgiven. You know that. You know the criteria for being forgiven is not to walk through the doors of 1640 Carmen Drive. That's not the criteria for being a forgiven person. It's not. And so this morning, you you know who you are if you've been coming to church and maybe you're saying the right things, but... But if you don't truly believe in Jesus, please don't take this lightly. Because just as much as Jesus has given us the authority to forgive sins based on your faith, the risen Christ has granted authority to the church to tell you unequivocally this morning that if you do not believe, your forgiveness is withheld. You don't have it. You don't have it. It's not yours today. It's not.
That's that verse from John 3.18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. We looked at this earlier. But whoever does not believe, if you don't believe, you're condemned already. It's not that we are condemning you. Don't get me wrong. We are not condemning you. You know what condemns you? Your unbelief is what condemns you. The church is not condemning you. It is your own unbelief because you have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so as we conclude, to the believers here, I always like to talk to both groups because I know there's a line in the sand. So to the believers here, I want to tell you, do not let the fear of man, do not let the fear of your failures discourage you. Some of you are discouraged because of what you've done and how you've failed Christ again and again and again and you're thinking, you know, what is God going to do with me? Don't be discouraged because remember the first word that Jesus said to his failing disciples was peace. You have peace. If you're a believer this morning, you are forgiven. But not, I'm not saying it. The authority of the risen Christ says you are forgiven. Remember that. And remember that just as God sent Jesus, as important as God's mission for Jesus was to send him to earth to save sinners, so important is your mission. Because Jesus is just as God sent him, he is sending you. He's sending you. You're his plan to reach the world, the church. And so the question is, will you obey? Will you obey? Look at these empty seats. Three here, four, four there, a couple rows back there. Will we fill this church with people you know, that you care about, that you want to see, come to know Jesus? Will we fill it? I don't know them, but you do. We all have a role to play. Will we obey this commission? Who will we invite? That's to those of us who believe, to those who do not yet believe. If you have doubts this morning, and I know some of you do, you have doubts, okay? I want to tell you something. Don't give up. Please don't give up. Because Jesus welcomes you, doubts and all. Doubts and all. He says, come, come and see my hands. Come and see my side. See that it is really me. He says, come and see. And one day you can experience that joy. If you come and see those scars, you can know that he really is risen. And you can experience the joy of knowing him. Joy that led those men, as I told you, all those men, to die so that we could have this. People died, church, so that you and I could have this. Just think about that. How important this was to them, that they were willing to die, that you and I would have this. Forgive us when we put this on the shelf, right? Forgive us when, when, when it collects dust on our shelves. They died for us to have it. But I don't want you to mistake my invitation. If you do not yet believe today, you're welcome with your doubts. You're welcome to explore. But today, while you still do not believe, I have to tell you, this is my, I must declare what God says. By the authority of Christ, I tell you the truth, the line is drawn and your sins are not 
forgiven. They're not. Please don't leave this church thinking they are. They're not. Forgiveness is withheld from you, but that doesn't need to be the end of your story. Amen? It doesn't need to be the end of your story because just like Romans 10, 9 says, if you would confess with your mouth this morning, today, if you will do that, if you will believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, that God raised Christ from the dead, you will be saved. It's not a, it's not a can, maybe. It, it, it will happen if you would only believe. I pray you will. Church, you can rise and worship team, you can come as we close. And, um, you know, I realized, um, as I was preparing this week, I realized this is going to be my final uh, sermon in this series in the Gospel of John. We have a few more messages left, um, but for me, on the schedule, this is my final time. And it made me, st- I got a little emotional thinking about it, because I'm looking back on the last two years of all the things we've learned. And I just want to say, thanks be to God for John's portrait of Jesus, the risen Jesus Christ. Aren't you grateful for this account of Jesus' life? I pray that we would all know him. To him be the glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that this account has been preserved for us that we can look back and read. And even though we do not see you today in the flesh, we have this word, which is tested and sure. And Lord, we know that we are blessed, O God, those of us who believe, yet though we do not see. Father, I thank you for those scars, those scars that remain, that will always remind us of what Christ has done. I pray for anyone in this room is paralyzed by fear. Oh God, the the believers, let them know your peace. Let them know your peace and let them be faithful to the Great Commission. And if anyone does not know you, oh God, doubts and all, let them come and see that you really are alive, that we worship a risen Christ, that he is risen. He is risen indeed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.